0: My friend and clergy colleague, Maita Herrick-Carlson loves to tell a story of our, our trip to the Holy Land. Last January, we were visiting the chapel in the upper room in Jerusalem, and there were so many people crowded into such a small space because there was more than one tour group there all at the same time. We took up this tiny little staircase into this upper room, and everyone was in little groups listening to their tour guides who were all trying to talk over each other to their group of people. And then one group in one corner started singing, and then another group in the other corner saw them start singing, so they decided they needed to start singing. And then all of a sudden, Mayta noticed I was gone. (laughs) I was not with our group anymore, and they didn't worry about me, I'm a wanderer. But after a little bit, they found me in the courtyard, down that tiny set of stairs, outside of the chapel, standing and breathing with my hands on my chest, under the only tree in the whole area, because I could not with all those people anymore. For those of you who have any young kiddos in your life, in any in any way, uh, there's, there's a show that's popular right now that some of you might be familiar with. My own kid has technically aged out of the target audience for the show, but I say technically because even though she is almost 14, our family is very familiar with the Australian kids cartoon, Bluey. And thank goodness, uh, because it is an absolute delight and I highly recommend you watch it. Episodes are eight minutes long. You can watch it anytime. It's a delight. We all love it. All three of us, adult and teenager, which truly to get a teenager to like anything is kind of awesome at this point. So we'll take it. Now, what does this have to do with today's gospel? I know you're wondering this. Well, I'm sure I could work in a selection from Bluey into literally every sermon. It is that good. For today, a specific scene from season three popped into my mind when I read this morning's gospel. And so Nick has that clip for you here. No, knock. knock. Louie, that's a bit loud, honey. Sorry. No, knock, knock. Oh, who's there, hon? Potato. Louie, too loud. Potato who? Potato drives a car to the potato shop and buys a potato. <laughs> that's a good one, Bingo. Louie! Sorry. No, knock, knock. Hey, kids, I'm back from my haircut. Dad! Right. Dinner's in the slow cooker and they've had afternoon tea. I need 20 minutes when no one comes near me. Oh, yep. Yeah. Okay. Come on, kids. Daddy-daughter time. Hey! <laughs> uh I love that part. She just gives him the stare. I need 20 minutes where nobody talks to me. Yes, Chili, yes. I picture Jesus being so much like Chili in this moment, saying that very thing, and the disciples are very much like Bluey, saying, wait, what? Don't you love us anymore? Why don't you want to hang out with us? Jesus just needed a little break, just a little one. Why? Well, a quick recap of our past few weeks of Gospel texts remind us that Jesus has been on the move, but even though we've split up this Mark 1 into a bunch of weeks, it has been roughly a 24-hour period of a lot of action for Jesus. This is a particular theme of Mark's Gospel, Evidenced by his words like immediately and as soon as, Uh, he uses these words to imply an urgency that things are constantly happening. But all of Mark 1 is being baptized, calling disciples, landing in Capernaum, healing in the synagogue last week. It is a lot of action in a short amount of time. In the church today, in this season, we're between Christmas and Lent. We sometimes call this the time after Epiphany or Epiphany Tide. All of the stories in this particular season in the church are read through a lens of Epiphany, of being revealed how God is being revealed to us and what we might learn about God through these stories. So last week we heard the story of Jesus in the synagogue in Capernaum, healing a man in a very public way, in a very public place. Today's gospel takes place in the same 24-hour period, but instead of still being in the synagogue, Jesus and his disciples have made their way to Peter's house. When they arrive, Jesus is informed that Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever and he goes to her and reaches out a hand and heals her. Unsurprisingly, there's a line in this that has always kind of bugged me a little bit, which is that after she's healed, she gets up and immediately begins to serve them like buddies. She was just on her deathbed. Can't you make yourself your own sandwich for a second? It makes me so annoyed. Just give her a minute. But this week, a colleague of mine reminded me that the word serve in Greek in this story is diakonos, which is used many times in Mark's gospel. But two examples are when Jesus is served by the angels in the wilderness story, and the other is what Jesus himself names as his purpose near the end of his ministry when he says, I have come to serve. Diaconos, Not to be served, but to serve Diaconos. This is where we, as the Lutheran church, get our word deacon. Deacons in the Lutheran church are set apart for a specialized kind of ministry. Pastor Chad and I are ordained in word and sacrament. Deacons are ordained in word and service diakonos. My colleague this week said, Peter's mother-in-law was just the first deacon. And I kind of liked that a little bit. It made me feel not quite so salty about the fact that they made her get up and serve them right away. She was set free from her illness, and out of that liberation came this deep desire to serve. Not because of some antiquated rule about women in households or the men not being capable. And isn't that so much better? So that's a little side tangent from my main point, but if that's always bothered you also, I just wanted to maybe set you free from that cynical take on the text as well. Anyway, Jesus does this small private healing not long after the big public healing in the synagogue and word spreads. Capernaum is not the tiniest town on the Sea of Galilee, but it is pretty small. It's geographically compact, with the houses practically on top of one another. Everyone knew everyone, and it is likely that very little happened in someone's home that others didn't soon hear about. All that is to say, these healing stories likely spread quickly. The whole day has been pretty peoply for Jesus, right? Both in the synagogue and in the neighborhood around Peter's house, As the sun sets, Mark tells us, that means the Sabbath is ending. The whole city is at the door wanting a healing of their own. Mark says the whole city was gathered outside the door. The implication, though not explicitly stated, is one of overwhelm. It is not hard to picture this scene, crowds gathered at the doorway of a tiny home with a narrow street outside filled with even more people, all trying to grasp their own moment of healing. I was in Capernaum twice this last year. I have a few pictures of what is left of this ancient town and homes and streets, so you can maybe get a visual of these same crowded streets as we look at a few here. So this one it's kind of hard to see because these are our screens and it is sunny out today, which we are not complaining about, we're not complaining about. Um, but you can see these are the walls of, of homes. and then there, see how close they are together. you can kind of see the streets between them. Here's another one where you get a sense of the pillars and the streets. And then this third picture is um, there's a church built on top of Peter's mother-in-law's house. So it's actually kind of a, uh, an octagonal shaped home with walls around it and then another wall around it and then the street wall around the other side. So it just feels very tiny and tight everywhere you look in Capernaum. So like I said, crowded, overwhelming. It's a lot. So then it's almost Funny, comical, that the next verse in this part of Mark's Gospel that says, in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went by himself to a deserted place. Yeah, buddy, solidarity. I do not love crowds personally or noisy places or a lot of visual auditory stimulation. We went to Vegas for the first time this year, but hated it, I'm never going back. I think it's probably what hell is like if hell existed. Not my jam. It's not my jam. My friend and clergy colleague, Maita Herrick-Carlson, loves to tell the story of our our trip to the Holy Land. Last January, we were visiting the chapel in the upper room in Jerusalem, and there were so many people crowded into such a small space because there was more than one tour group there all at the same time. We had to go up this tiny little staircase into this upper room, and everyone was in little groups listening to their tour guides who were all trying to talk over each other to their group of people. And then one group in one corner started singing. And then another group in the other corner saw them start singing. So they decided they needed to start singing. And then all of a sudden, Meta noticed I was gone. <laughs> I was not with our group anymore. And they didn't worry about me. I'm a wanderer. But after a little bit, they found me in the courtyard, down that tiny set of stairs outside of the chapel, standing and breathing with my hands on my chest under the only tree in the whole area because I could not with all those people anymore. So I have a lot of solidarity for Jesus here. Picturing a day full of crowds, people overwhelming him in small spaces, makes me fully understand how the next thing that Jesus does is run away to be alone. I find it very validating actually Especially in Mark's gospel, who chooses very carefully the scenes he's going to share because he's trying to get us somewhere quickly, the fact that he brings this up matters. If God incarnate needs to withdraw and rest and recuperate after being around a lot of people and activity, well then, it seems likely that I, who's definitely not God incarnate, will need to do the same. Probably more so, if if we're being honest. Episcopal priest and author Debbie Thomas says of this moment in Mark's gospel, This is an apt lesson for those of us who live in cultures where tireless striving is a virtue and the need for rest is considered a weakness. The conceit to think Jesus needs rest, but we do not. I mean, let's, let's play this out a little, shall we? What would happen if I stopped? What would happen if you stopped, just for a little bit? Things might not get done? Okay, then what? Will the world end? No. Will I disappoint people, and will that make me feel like the world is ending? Yes, probably. <laughs> but is the world going to end while I rest? No. Debbie Thomas continues, Jesus understands the ongoing and necessary tension between compassion and self-protection in a world bursting with desperate need. Jesus lives with this tension every day, and he is unapologetic about his need for rest and solitude. Even as the crowds throng to him, he feels no shame in retreating when he needs a break. This is a good time to remind you of something I say pretty often, which is, we are not Jesus in this story. I'm not Jesus, neither are you. We can rest without shame, without feeling like we have to earn it first, without apologizing for not doing. Jesus shows us that it is not just possible, but necessary to take a beat. It will be okay. In fact, it will be better when we do. Jesus goes away to rest and recover and reconnect to his identity and belovedness, not because he's earned it, but because Sabbath is built into the very rhythms of creation and because he needs it. When He withdraws. He is actively not helping other people. People who need help, people who he could help, but doesn't. And the world doesn't end. In fact, his ministry continues because he has rested, not in spite of it. You see he's off hiding in the hillside somewhere. We were on a bus ride this summer and our tour guide was like that cave up there is probably where Jesus hung out. And the whole bus was like, "What?" Like we just we just drove on by it like it was no big deal. It was hilarious. And Jesus' disciples are looking for him everywhere. He's up hiding on a hillside by himself. And I'm sure at this point in the morning the crowds who had gone home for the night to rest were back outside of Peter's house, looking for Jesus, trying once again to draw near to him and hoping for a miracle of their own. Jesus, everyone is looking for you, they say, in what almost sounds like annoyance. How dare you stop? How dare you rest? It would be so easy, I think, to get caught up in the rush of being needed, of being wanted and the idea that he couldn't possibly go anywhere else because what would they do here if he left? Jesus instead looks at the disciples and says, we have to go. Y'all, even the Messiah didn't have a Messiah complex. Isn't that awesome? Come on. The point of this story in this particular season in Epiphany, what is revealed about Jesus and therefore what is revealed about God is that none of these stories are actually about the healing, about the doing of the thing in the moment. Mark 1 has a lot of healing stories, but it's not about the healing. If it were, Jesus would stay in Capernaum till there was no one left to heal. But he doesn't. And he doesn't say, let's go heal more people. He says, let's go away, out, out of here and proclaim the message there too. What Jesus is bringing is more healing. And though that's is more than healing. And though healing shows up sometimes when God shows up, this is a quick and to-the-point reminder that the kingdom of God was never meant for one place and one group and one thing only. The story is really about what happens when God draws near. Freedom, liberation, life, wholeness, and what is needed in order to do those things and be those things, not a certain belief or faith or prayer or doctrine or education or degree, but rest. Rest is what is needed to do those things. Jesus' time alone away from everyone else is what gives him the ability to move outside of that tiny town of Capernaum where he had made his home and into the areas in and around Galilee. His rest allowed him to do more, not less. All I could think this week was I wonder what it would be like if we did this kind of active resistance to producing and participating and performing and, 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 and. What space might be created by our rest? How might we rest in order that after we are finished taking a beat, what happens is more inclusion, more presence, more care? So if you just need 20 minutes, you are in good company. Chili, me, and Jesus, you can take a break. You can rest. You deserve and are worthy of rest. My friend, Pastor Meta, who was on this trip, she's a poet and an author, and she wrote a blessing called For Rest. And it feels like the perfect way for me to close today to bless your rest and have you think about it today and in the days to come. So I want you to get comfortable and close your eyes and take a deep breath in. And if you're overwhelmed, maybe you put your hand on your heart because that always helps me if I'm feeling overwhelmed or exhausted. And hear these words spoken for you. A blessing for rest. The world hustles and benefits from a cruel lie. Idleness must be earned. It is reserved for the privileged who have achieved some success, a reward only after everything has been given or taken. But our bodies and souls know better. They remember the seventh day of creation, the generation of rest the rhythm of a holy pause before there can be more living. When we rest, we call out the lie for the sake of those fooled into thinking they are too powerful to rest, for the sake of those who are unsafe when they pause for peace. When we rest, we can remember it is not a reward, but an essential beat. For in our stopping, we witness what God is doing inside and way beyond us. Amen. this really great story in the Old Testament about Elijah being uh, thinking the world is ending and everything's not okay and he's just having this big pity party about how hard life is and how everything's awful and nothing's going the way he wants it to and he's so tired and he's so angry and he's so weary. And God says, oh my gosh, take a nap and have a snack. And then he does and it turns out when he wakes up, everything's a lot better than he thought it was. So you have been fed today You've been given a little snack, a little Jesus to take with you into the world. And now you know that you can also rest. You can. You are loved if you are not producing. You are loved just as you are. You can rest because God has created you to take a beat and to rest and to be loved when you are resting, not because you've earned it, but because it is part of how you've been created to be. So you've been given a snack, and now it's time to take a nap. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord.